said, there is much that is said. Uh, there uh, is, for instance, an indication in the Scripture very clearly that uh, the place where the, those who go to be with the Lord now are with Him will not be their eternal home. I believe that our eternal home is described here in Revelation 21 that will be the possession of the Lord and His people after the end of all things as we know it. And yet we know that to be absent from the body, as the Apostle Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. And so all of us have great interest in heaven because we already have great investment there. In September of 1954, L.M. Keeling of Little Rock, Arkansas, lay in the final weeks of a fatal uh, episode with liver cancer. Age 74, he had preached the gospel for over 50 years and uh, had uh, raised eight children, one of whom was my mother. Several weeks prior to his death in September, as one of my mother's sisters sat with him, he stirred from his subdued state where he was most of the time because of the medication for the intense pain, he raised up on one elbow and with an animated look he reached toward the ceiling and he said, Angel, you don't need to introduce me to those people. I baptized them. And you may believe what you will, but my aunt believes and I tend to concur that there in the hour of his agony, the Lord gave him a glimpse of those who were waiting for him on the other shore. In the last century, when the wife of William Booth, uh, who along with her husband had founded the Salvation Army, lay dying, she was in excruciating pain, and near the very end, she said to those who were around her words that indicated uh, joy and excitement and, and someone let slip out, but you are suffering so. And she said, ah, yes, the waters are rising, but so am I. This passage in Revelation 21 is certainly cause for us to glory and rejoice in the Lord. For it describes the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of all of the promises of God. We can be overwhelmed by its majesty. There is an incredible amount of detail here. The words uh, have such uh, deep and multiple meanings. And we could uh, talk about it for a good long time. But rather than that, let us as uh, the difficult as the task may be, select some of the jewels from uh, the vast number that are scattered before us and focus on them as we look through the text. When we come to Revelation 21, looking back through the book as it describes the end of time as we now know it, I've titled the book study, The End and the Beginning. We have now finished the end and we have come to the new beginning. The age of grace is over. It was ended by the shout of the archangel with the voice of God 
and the dead in Christ rose, and we are they who were alive and remained have gone to be with him, to abide with him forever. Following that removal of the church from the earth, the seven-year period that we call the Great Tribulation, the series of futile battles that uh, the nations and the devil in which they tried to uh, thwart the purposes of God that this series of battles that we call Armageddon followed by the reign of peace of a thousand years a short season of final rebellion the great white throne judgment following the second resurrection of the dead whence all who were so judged were cast along with the unholy trinity and death and Hades itself into a lake of fire that burns forever. And now we see the new Jerusalem, our eternal home. Now let me acknowledge, as I've tried to do, do often in our study of Revelation, how much room there is for disagreement about the interpretation of the meaning of details in this magnificent book. Uh, significant room for difference even among those who love and revere and honor the Word of God as inerrant and infallible. And so the details of interpretation depend in large measure on the judgment, that is the interpretation, not the truth, for only God knows the full truth of it, but the interpretation in some measure depends on the judgment of those of us who interpret it. But there are certain guidelines that we apply to all Scripture that we ought to apply to this. For instance, first of all, the book of Revelation presents itself as a true and accurate record of what John the Apostle saw and heard. And so I believe that we must accept it as what he saw and heard and realize that he was transported to a realm beyond what we call time, and he was shown things and told to describe them that are beyond the ability of man either to understand or to describe. And so to a large extent, what he saw has already been interpreted by him, and he interprets it to us. Secondly, it was necessary for John, as it is for all men, to describe what he saw in terms that he understood, terms that, that he uh, found meaningful to himself. Third, we must not, however, assume that his description is misleading because though he was a mere man, describing the indescribable, he was led by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. And fourth, the passage itself uh, in many details, for instance, in the description of gold, you will find the descriptions of gold in this chapter different from the metal with which we are familiar seems to indicate that the material substances in the material 
uh, in, in the new heavens, in the new earth, which will be a material realm, will be different than the ones with which we are familiar. I can speculate that it is a part of redemption from the curse. That all things will be pure and in their most marvelous state. So notice several things with me. In verses 1 through 4, I am reminded of the words of Isaiah when he said, And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. At every opportunity, John had, when what he saw and what he heard, included the presence of the Lord, it was the Lord that absorbed his attention. And the voice that he heard now focuses the eternal existence squarely where it belongs on the presence and the glory of the Lord himself. Now, Certainly, I believe that much of what John says is figurative and symbolic as he relates in terms that we can uh, understand what he saw that was indescribable. But as with much in Revelation, there, are, there is a literal sense about the underlying reality. I believe that it is literally a new heaven new heavens and a new earth. That Jerusalem is a literal city, the great capital of our eternal kingdom. That it will literally be our home throughout all eternity with Him. Very little is said about nature in the new heavens and the new earth. But what is said would indicate that it is like Eden. It is like the perfect place that God created for the man and the woman that he created the first time. Now one of the things that I'm not sure about is that when John says there shall be no more sea, whether he means there will not be any oceans. 
Now, by simple uh, land area, if as a part of the high places being brought down and the low places being brought up, there are literally no oceans. In that day, it will mean that the land area of the earth would be eight times what it is now. I do not know if that's what he meant or not. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we have seen a mention of the sea. It was a picture of the bronze sea, the large vessel some 40 feet in circumference that held the water for cleansing when the priest would enter uh, to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. They would ascend the stairs and wash themselves for cleansing before they entered the presence of the Lord. And when we saw that sea earlier, the surface of it was solid for there was no more need for cleansing. Perhaps it means that now John is saying there is no more sea for the need for cleansing is so remote there is no need for a reminder of it. Perhaps when he says there is no sea he meant that there was no more separation. It is a detail easily lost in the reading of the book of Revelation. But in the beginning of the book John says Well, I was going to read it. I'll, here we go in John 1, 9. I was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos was a barren and desolate island roughly 50 miles off the coast of Asia Minor. It was a place of exile, a place for prisoners to keep them separate from the mainland. And John's exile meant to him that he was absolutely, for the time that he was on Patmos, separated from the churches that he loved so much. And perhaps John is saying that there was no more separation, that there is nothing between us and those whom we love any longer. But whatever he meant, it is a very beautiful picture. If there are no oceans, still the earth will be green and lush. It will be a new order. And it will not be necessary for the nature to go through a cycle of life and death as it does as a result of the curse year after year. By the descriptions we can surmise that there will be no barren parched deserts there will be no polar ice. It will be a perfect place. An eternal city come down where God will rule forever and we will rule and reign with him eternally at the center of the universe. Now there is disagreement among uh, many who study the Bible as to whether the earth shall be a totally new creation or whether it will just be remodeled. And there are languages, there are arguments based on the language of the New Testament that, that lean both ways. But when the word create is used in these verses, 
It is the word that means precisely to make something out of nothing. You know, the more science advances and in one of the arenas of science where there tends to be more honesty than there does in some of the other physical sciences in astronomy, astronomers have long believed that in the beginning there was a mass at the heart of what is the known universe. And following some kind of a cataclysmic event, the mass was scattered. And in all of their uh, visual explorations of space, they continue to locate mass that is within their equation. Perhaps they are correct. And while this universe may be grand and glorious to us, taking millions of years at the speed of light to cross, it is but a small patch at the feet of a sovereign God. And the word create is to create something out of nothing. And it is as if God will speak and again new heavens and a new earth will be created for us. In 2 Peter 3, verses 7 or verse 6 through 13. Peter says that the heavens and the earth will be destroyed by fire. And the words that Peter used indicate utter and complete destruction as does the description in Isaiah 65, verse 17. Total destruction and disappearance of that which was before and something brand new from God as a place for us to dwell with Him forever. No longer will the earth be torn by hooks and plows, Dr. Criswell says, in order that it yield its increase in fruit. No longer will it be infested with thistles and thorns and briars, no longer will it be cut into graves and plotted into cemeteries. No longer will its soil be moistened by the showers of human tears. No longer will it be stained with the crimson of human blood. No longer will its highways bear the processions of those who are brokenhearted and bereaved. The earth will be our home forever. And God promises that he will dwell with us. This interpretation, which seems most obvious from Revelation and so much else that we have uh, in the prophets, is consistent with the words of Jesus when he stood on the mountain and spoke words which have certainly never yet come true when he said, Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And then notice in verses 5 through 8 the inheritance. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. 
And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I might mention about verses 7 and 8 that no true believer will be dominated by these things. And the verb in these verses indicate that these uh, people who are excluded are those who are dominated as a principle of their lives by these things. There will be complete satisfaction. It will be the full inheritance that God has promised. There will be full fellowship. There will indeed be no separation, whether that is what John had in mind or not. And I would say to you that based on the book of Revelation, including this chapter, including these very verses, the Bible knows nothing of an ethereal, non-material heaven where we spend eternity floating around among the clouds. In the Bible, the dwelling place of God with His people throughout the ages is always described in terms of a real, material place. The heaven of the Bible is a material heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ already has His new body. We will receive ours when we go to be with Him at the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the righteous dead. There is something marvelous in these verses. It is in verse 6. And he said to me, It is done. It is a very precise word. The form of a verb, a precise usage, it is used twice in Scripture. It was said first by the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung suspended between heaven and earth. He spoke this word. He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. When judgment was pronounced, he said, as we saw last week, it is done. Tetelestai, it is finished. And here, he says again, Tetelestai, it is finished, all of it is done. And there remains nothing now, but the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal dwelling that we shall have with him. And then, notice with me, if you would, in verses 9 through 14, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke to me saying, 
Come here, and I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names were written on them which are those of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three on the north, and three on the south, and three on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. God is the glory of the city. Though some may doubt that it will be literal, I cannot. It is real. It is true. John saw it. Jesus said to him, write these things down, for they are faithful and true. It is very, very different from our world. There will be three groups there. There will be Israel, the bride of Jehovah. There will be the church, the bride of Christ. And there will be believers of the nations who came to him during the tribulation, who all of these will be present in the population of the eternal kingdom. In the Old Testament, in the very moving and beautiful accounts in the book of Hosea, God taught the prophet through the breaking of his own heart and the problems of his own personal life, the heartache that God knows. And it was there that we learned that God the Father saw the nation of Israel as his bride. We are told repeatedly in the New Testament, again and again in the book of Revelation, that the church is the bride of Christ. But the mercy and the grace of God extends because of His great love to so many that were in neither group. I do believe that those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ will not be there. They will be in the lake of fire. There is one way to God. It is through His Son, Jesus Christ. God clothed Himself in flesh. He walked on this earth. He died to pay a price that in order for a man or a woman to pay it would cost them eternity in punishment in a lake of fire created for the devil and his demons. But I also am reminded of the description of John when first we looked into the throne room of the heavens and he saw the glorious Christ and his throne in heaven. He said that the crowd before the throne was so numerous that it could not be counted. There will be a great host and a great multitude there. 
Notice some further details about the city, including the measurements in verses 15 through 21. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles, its length and its width and its height are equal. And he measured its walls 72 yards according to human measure, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was like jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase. This is interesting. The eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So many details here. I think one of the most significant is in the description of the foundation, of the walls, and of the streets. All of it is designed to radiate without any hindrance the rainbow of the magnificent colors that God has created. For in the description of the stones is every shade and hue of the rainbow. The city will be a cube, 1,500 miles, and all of the surfaces will be translucent, radiating the magnificent colors designed to admit a rainbow of heavenly color which reflects the glory of God. It is obviously more beautiful than we can imagine, but in that description we can imagine with the beauty that we are allowed to see from time to time how magnificent it must be. I am intrigued by the fact that there is a street, there are not streets, and the street is gold as if it were transparent glass. What a beautiful description that must be. I think it is also the street of gold, a reminder that we stand not on the basis of our own righteousness or merit, but we stand in reality now because we are saved. And in the eternity, because He preserves us, we stand on His purity and His righteousness, which is undiluted and unalloyed, purest gold. And then notice in verses 22 through 27, here we see the open gates. And I saw no temple in it, 
For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nation shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gates shall never be closed. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Among the more noteworthy things about this description is that there is no more temple. When we were allowed to glimpse into the throne room of God, the temple was there. When Moses on the mountain where God revealed the pattern for the tabernacle and the temple to him, when Moses saw the pattern, there was a temple in heaven. But there is now no more need for it. There is no temple because there is no function left. There is no temple needed as a reminder that in the holiest of places, the holiest of lords brought his own blood as a sacrifice of eternal value for sin. There is no need for it now. All of that is realized and the Lord and the Lamb are the temple they are the light. And their light is so adequate, there will be no need for heavenly bodies. This universe will not be moving at breakneck speed across nothingness. We will not be revolving around a bright star. We will be basking in the uncreated glory of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that is portrayed here will come to pass. I believe the comments about the nations and the kings of the earth reflect the fact that whatever glory man has ever had will be given to him, for he is the source of it. The church will dwell in the city. The glory and the brilliance of the Holy Trinity are all that will ever be needed to light the universe. The Holy Spirit is there as well, and we shall meet Him in the first verses of chapter 22 next time. I say to you that it will happen there's so many details and there is so much significance. But remember that the hidden things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And certainly it is revealed beyond our satisfaction that He Himself will provide 
and will be all that we need, not only in the bright and dark hours that we shall know in this life, but through a place beyond time, without time, where as Barnhouse said, the quality of eternity is that there is only one will, and at the end of all things, there will only be one will again, and so eternity will be reinstated, and we shall in timeless wonder and awe and majesty and beauty and joy unspeakable reign with him. May we pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, it is so easy for us to read the words that three times you spoke when you said, it is done. But what awe and what wonder and what pain and what sorrow lay beyond your ability to say those words. Father, we are the recipients of your grace because you chose to love us when we were unlovely, when we were apart from you, when we were separated from you. How grateful we are. Father, how difficult it is to understand why you would do it all for me. Lord, we love you. I thank you that you do not ever deal with us and treat us in the way that we often treat you. And I ask again tonight that you would cleanse and take from my life all of those things that dishonor you so that I might in the act of honoring the one will your will begin to glimpse the joys of heaven that can be known only by those who are obedient to you. Father, in the light of your beauty and your holiness and the joys that you have prepared for us, show us ourselves, show us our sins, draw from us the kind of confession that you seek And Father, as your word says you will do, take the depravity and the blackness of our sins as they are confessed and throw them into a sea of forgetfulness behind your back. Father, use us so that others may know I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You really must, if you never have,
read the incredible book by John Bunyan called The Pilgrim's Progress. It has been in print constantly for 325 years. It has never gone out of print. It has sold untold millions of copies beyond any other piece of literature in history except the Bible. And if you are here tonight and you carry a load of guilt and sin, I would say to you that you do not have to, to carry it any longer. In the Pilgrim's Progress, when it length after a very difficult climb, Christian, the pilgrim, comes to the top of a steep hill. There on the crest of the hill are three crosses, and feeling compelled to bow before the center cross, as he kneels on that level ground, at the foot of the cross, the great heavy burden that was clinging to him that he could never be free of, turned loose. And Bunyan says, it rolled down the hill and disappeared into an empty tomb where I saw it no more. You may, in the simple act of kneeling before Jesus Christ, have your burden rolled away forever. I don't know your heart. I don't know your need. What he would have you do, if it involves church membership, if it involves your eternal salvation, there will never be a better time to settle those questions than right now. Whether you need to come and kneel and pray or simply kneel where you are or pray where you are, what he would have you do, do it tonight. We will sing as a hymn of invitation. Hymn 325, if you need the hymnal, Footsteps of Jesus. What he would have you do, do it right now, do it quickly, as we stand and while we sing.